Hello and welcome to another edition of the Checkdown Charlie's podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric, and I'm joined by Theo. Talk to the people, Theo. Well, can I say, Rizzoli, there's like excitement coming. Triple header today on Saturday, triple header tomorrow on Sunday. I can't believe we're in a position to watch three NFL playoff games in a row <laughs> with the extra team added to the playoff mix. It's pretty exciting. It's more than anything else. Like, I'm just grateful. Can't believe the NFL was able to pull this off during a pandemic. There was, uh, let's just say, some adjustments made along the way. You know, I've never seen a game on Wednesday or Tuesday, but <laughs> yeah. there's a first for everything. I'm just happy to be along for the ride. We saw a team play without any quarterbacks. Remember that? The Broncos, all three of the Broncos guys had to isolate and therefore they were not in the game. Kevin Stefanski is not going to be available for the Browns this week as they go on to face the Steelers. I mean, that's even wacky in itself. The freaking Browns made the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> that's no, like... Coach. Exactly. And a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of the wide receivers were in a hot tub. They all get COVID. Oh my, so. God. oh my God. What a mess. To be honest, I hoped the season would turn out this way and I did not have faith. There were times where I was like, it's going to be canceled for sure. There's no way they can pull this off. But the NFL gravy train must continue. There's way too much money changing hands between every NFL game for it not to continue. So, I mean, kudos to the NFL for pulling it off. It's the lifeblood of our podcast, so we appreciate it. Yeah, and for the sake of my freaking mental health, could you imagine there's one less thing to do on Sundays? Like, yeah. you know, this is part of the routine. And as an avid football watcher, like, I enjoy spending my Sundays anchored around the television. That might seem kind of sad to a certain extent. No. It, it provides me <laughs> a great amount of joy. Not at all. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure like I definitely agree with you. It's part of my Sunday ritual. And like, I'm sure the majority of the people that are listening to this podcast feel the same way. Like if you're listening to a history of the New York Giants podcast, chances are that you're a huge football fan. So I'm sure yeah, you know majority of our audience can relate to you in that way. I mean, I must say I'm, I'm a little salty about how things turned out for the Giants in terms of how the Eagles really helped it up <laughs> for us. So yeah, uh, Eagles suck like crabs in the bucket. They're just trying to drag us down so that they can be at their level. Nobody can actually get out of the damn bucket, you know? Listen, if you were listening to Joe Judge's press conference after the game, as a Giants fan, I'd feel confident because, you know, he placed the responsibility solely on their shoulders. You know, at the end of the day, you win six games, don't expect to be in the playoffs, yeah, you know? exactly. From my side, though, how do you think I feel? Like, I'm a Dolphins fan. We go 10 and 6. Oh and we don't god. even make the playoffs. Oh my god. I think that would be worse because like 6 and 10, I would say that no teams in the NFC East deserve to make the playoffs this season if I'm being a realist about it. Although, match respect to Alex Smith. Not only should he be the comeback player of the year, they should rename the award to the Alex Smith Award. From my perspective, being a Dolphins fan, it's sort of a controversial opinion. I know I'll get blown up on Finn's Twitter. But I'm kind of happy that they didn't make the playoffs because now it puts more spotlight on the quarterback position because it's such a question mark versus had they made the playoffs, maybe it wouldn't have been such a big question because I still think it needs to get solved. I'm not 100% convinced who was their man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the same could be said about the Giants in all honesty. And obviously we're delving into the state of the franchise, but to have the 31st ranked offense in the league and make the playoffs, it covers all manner of sins in terms of the actual performance of the team. Exactly. You want to gloss over their problems just because 
they made the playoffs. Exactly. So speaking of glossing over their problems, we're here to tell you about the last 10 years of the Giants history. <laughs> and we're going to gloss over. We're going to give you the main points from Tom Coughlin to Joe Judge or the present day. If we don't mention something or if we don't give it the attention it deserves, then you know, let us know. Light us up on Twitter. Exactly. Light us up on Finn's Twitter, on Giants Twitter as well. We'll get it started here as we kind of start to wrap up the History of the Giants podcast series. As I get older... I'm made more and more aware of the cyclical nature of sports franchises. While we hear of dynasties such as the Patriots, San Antonio Spurs, and Detroit Red Wings in their respective sports, the majority of franchises find it difficult to maintain success for multiple years in a row. This is particularly true when examining the moves made by the New York Giants following their Super Bowl victory in 2011. They would be without the stalwarts on the team, such as Mario Manningham and Brandon Jacobs. Despite again going 6-2 and two the following year, they finished the season with an identical record at 9-7 and seven, and missed out on the playoffs this time. Whatever playoff magic or mystique was remaining on the Giants was starting to wash away in 2013 as the Giants dropped their first six games. This was their worst start to a season since 1976. Injuries to Chris Snee, David Deal, and Victor Cruz would derail the season. This would be Tom Coughlin's first losing season as Giants head coach since Eli's rookie year, which is pretty impressive, to be honest with you, to not have a losing season for basically nine years. Kudos to Coughlin for that. Unfortunately for Cruz and the Giants, Cruz would injure his knee again in 2014 and his calf in 2015, and his career would never be the same. Justin Tuck, Hakeem Nix, and Corey Webster would leave the team prior to the 2015 season. The lone bright spot for the team was the selection of Odell Beckham Jr. in the first round of the 2014 draft. He would go on to become the Offensive Rookie of the Year and break the internet with his famous one-handed grab against Brandon Carr and the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football in December of that year. Despite the efforts of the team, they would end 2014 on a seven-game losing streak and thus were eliminated from playoff contention. Despite this, Coughlin was given another one-year contract extension. So at this point, they're heading into the 2015 season, and rising star Jason Pierre-Paul was looking for a contract extension. And if you remember from our previous episodes, JPP had a major impact on that Super Bowl winning squad. I don't know if you remember, Theo, like he had 16 and a half sacks. He was a dynamic playmaker. Do you remember that video of him at the Combine before they drafted him? Of him do- yeah. Yeah, doing the backflips? Like, how crazy was that to see? It was great because the way they built this team is they always had like an understudy to whoever was the big defensive end at the time. Mm-hmm. You had Michael Strahan with OC and then OC with Justin Tuck. Now you have Tuck with JPP. They're always passing on the torch, so to speak, on that defensive line. Exactly. And yeah, they're churning out really great defensive linemen. So he was kind of the next man up in that sense. Despite him looking for a contract extension, the Giants planned to place the franchise tag on him. And he had until the middle of July of that year to sign the deal. However, on July 4th, 2015, Jason Pierre-Paul would injure his hand when a firework exploded before he had released it. He had to have one of his fingers amputated and ended up signing a one-year deal with the team that season, albeit at a very significant discount. So just really unfortunate thing to happen to such a promising player that obviously affected his career moving forward. However, the team fought hard that season 
with six of their eight losses being by less than a touchdown. Odell Beckham and Josh Norman ended up getting into a scuffle during a game against the Carolina Panthers, which led to OBJ being ejected from the game. The NFL also adopted a new rule the following season by which a player who accumulates two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in the same game is automatically ejected. Just like they did last season, they would finish 6-10, and and this would lead to Tom Coughlin's resignation at the end of the season. I remember that being a very frustrating season. They played hard, and like I said, they fought hard that season, and a lot of their losses were by one possession or less. And the Carolina Panthers, if I'm not mistaken, actually ended up making it to the Super Bowl that year. That was the year that was Cam and and Peyton Manning. Yeah, it was uh, Peyton Manning's last year, declining Manning. Cam Newton won the MVP that season as well. But I just remember like that specific time was very focused on Odell because of how dynamic he was versus the team in general. Like the spotlight was always on what Odell was doing week in and week out. He was the next superstar of the league to the point where, yeah, you're right. He absorbed much of the pressure and scrutiny of what was going on with the team. Again, you could probably say that it culminated in him and Josh Norman competing fiercely, but like there were memes of him like going after a Remember when he was like tripping over the kicking net or whatever, the field goal net? Yeah, and he was to it. Yeah, exactly. He would pee like a dog in the end zone. (laughs) Several things that would just bring more and more attention to him. Exactly. Ultimately, obviously, as we've alluded to in previous episodes, uh, this would be the last year of Tom Coughlin being head coach of the Giants. This would eventually lead to the Giants hiring Ben McAdoo, who had previously worked with the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Jerry Reese would seek to keep his job as general manager by bringing in free agents like Janoris Jenkins, Damon Snacks Harrison, and Olivier Vernon to bolster the defense. This, combined with the offense, helped the Giants to go 11-5, their first 10-win season since 2010. However, before the Giants' playoff game against the Green Bay Packers, many of the Giants' players went to Miami for a boat trip to unwind. After a big loss in the game, many members of the New York media blamed the players' boat trip for their bad performance. Before getting into it, I think I'll, I'll pass it on to you, Theo, to tell us a little bit more about the boat trip. Since that incident, the Giants are... 13 and 39 record at the time the incident didn't seem that big but the media most definitely blows things up in new york city and the loss just reinforced their point Mm -hmm. we have sort of like a timeline of what happened because even after their playoff game this was just all people could talk about for the next little while on january 1st the giants beat washington 19 to 10 in a meaningless week 17 game so they had already clinched the playoffs 10-5 at that point, so they just added another win. The Packers end up beating the Lions that night. The Giants know that they will be facing. Like, at the end of that day, they already knew who was seated to play them in the playoffs. The following day on January the 2nd, Odell Beckham, Victor Cruz, Sterling Shepard, and Roger Lewis are partying at Live in Miami with Trey Songz and Justin Bieber. People do some investigating and they find out like Trey Songs has it on a Snapchat and he shows them partying till six o'clock in the morning. The next morning on January 3rd, they board a boat with Songs and take the infamous picture. So the reason why a lot of people talk about this for days to come is because there was a photo on Instagram with all of them with their shirts off in jeans on a boat in Miami a couple days after they 
played Washington in week 17. So Ben McAdoo doesn't criticize it, says it was their day off. He's like, whatever. Next day, Eli Manning jokes around. He's like disappointed in the receiver's preparation. You know, says like they didn't pack the right attire and no swimming. <laughs> there was all jeans, you know, and sneakers and stuff. To add more fuel to the fire, Odell Beckham tells ESPN he's a grown man, which is something you don't, you don't want to egg them on even more, right? So people go deeper into it. They examine the Snapchat video and a careful listen to Trey Song's Snapchat reveals a voice that sounds like Sterling Shepard turning down Adderall on the boat. The tabloid website, TerezeOwens.com, also reports that the drug it was being handed out like candy. So mm. this has just brought more media attention. There's not just sports publications, but other publications that deal with celebrities like Trey Songs and Justin Bieber are sort of hopped onto this event. Four days later, on January 8th, the Giants lose to the Packers 38 to 13 in the wild card rounds. Basically, people are upset. You know, Trey Songs goes on Twitter reminding everyone that the defensive backs are responsible for giving a play up. I don't know if you remember, right before halftime, they give up this huge touchdown yeah. on a Hail Mary. Yeah. And he says that, well, the defensive backs gave up that Hail Mary and they weren't on the yacht. It's also reported that after the game, Odell Beckham Jr. punches a hole in the wall. Right. They're playing at Ambo as well. They're not even at MetLife Stadium. Putting the Giants' history into context, you'll remember when the Giants made their run in 2011, Hakeem Nix ended up catching two touchdowns in that game, one of which was on a Hail Mary pass into the end zone, so it was a Manning to Nix connection. And then you kind of get that same rematch four or five years later. This time it was, I believe it was Randall Cobb that caught the Hail Mary from Aaron Rodgers in the end zone. So once I saw that happening, I was having flashbacks and being like, oh, okay, this is definitely not going to work out for us this time. It's sort of, yeah, like the reverse karma. The following day on January 9th, Beckham and Cruz are basically the only key players to avoid the media mm-hmm. as the players depart. Manning also insinuates how he really feels. He says, you do things, you got to back it up. So there was instant pressure after this picture was blown up on social media mm-hmm. and this event unfolded. A few days later on January 18th, Lennon Collin reveals while on ESPN that he was invited to Miami but decided not to go. However, Collin said that defensive backs had their own plan and couldn't reveal it on TV. So they might not have been perfectly behaved either. Right. Eventually, on January 30th, Cruz admits he regrets the trip, says it definitely wasn't worth it. I have a quote for him. He goes, it was right after a game and we were just about to go into the playoffs. And although we had the day off, we went to Miami. We had a good time. It was New Year's Day. We came back the next day and didn't break any rules. This photo will haunt me for the rest of my life. It was more so the feeling of, man, when am I ever going to get to do this again? When am I going to get to be an athlete, win a football game, go on a private jet, go to Miami that same night? It was one of those things where I was just like, I think I'm going to feed our ego tonight. I could see his perspective. And to be quite honest, the reason why we're talking about this is how fueled it was by the media. Yeah, it goes back to that same pressure that was on Odell Beckham and let's say New York sports teams in general amplifies the situation. You know, if they had won the game or if it had been a close game, then we wouldn't be talking about this as a significant moment in Giants history. But, you know, that's how the cookie crumbles, right? You don't back it up. And that's what Eli was saying. If you don't back it up, then obviously this is going to look bad on you for choosing yeah. to do that. And this is especially since like Odell didn't have a particularly good game that day. Mm-hmm. I know that they were playing in Lambeau and it was snowing and it was cold. Yeah. So that might be one of the reasons. As I had mentioned, Landon Collins said he had some sort of plan, but they didn't 
publicize it and it wasn't really known as well. Mm-hmm. I liken it to the 90s Dallas Cowboys who got into their fair bit of trouble, but it was sort of under wraps and it always came out after the fact. They would party, they would do crazy things. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we get into that in another podcast where we talk about the Cowboys. But where I have an issue with it is the fact that they posted it as a form of promotion. They were sort of like showcasing their celebrity. Mm-hmm. And I think you can go and party, you can do all these types of things, but like sort of keep it under wraps because you sort of know at the end of the day, this is going to be talked about. Yeah, it's about not providing bulletin board material as well, like maybe exactly. for other teams, but like you put more pressure on yourself um, when it's general. when the perception is that you're not taking it seriously or like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. If it had been a closer game, we wouldn't be talking about this. But at the same time, yeah. that's how it ended up. It can sort of be seen as a microcosm for a bad culture move. You know what I mean? Hmm. You really question Ben McAdoo and ask whether or not he had the team dialed in at that point. How is he motivating this team? How is he keeping these guys accountable? Mm -hmm. Right? Maybe he is, and maybe he allows that, and it works well in the organization. But like you said, if you decide to go down that road, you got to back it up. Yeah, exactly. However, I mean, they still did go 11-5 and five in the season. So, you know, it wasn't like they were slouches by any means. 2017 began with big expectations, but the team failed to record a win in their first six tries. With major injuries, including one to Odell Beckham Jr., derailing the season once again, GM Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo were both fired after week 13. And the team finished 3-13, and which was their worst record since 2003. So this would also lead to the end of Eli Manning's string of 210 straight starts, dating back to week 11 of his rookie year. They benched him in favor of Geno Smith. And that was for one game, and then they brought him back. This would also prompt the Giants to hire Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer as their GM and head coach, respectively. So a little bit more on Ben McAdoo, even though he had not even two full seasons, a season and a chunk. You know, there's a few significant things that we can remember from his time. One thing was that he sort of had lost the locker room at one point towards the end of the second season because he famously had suspended key starters, Janoris Jenkins and Dominique Rogers cromarty That's right. He basically lost the locker room. An unnamed player went up to beat writer Josina Anderson and basically said to her, McAdoo has lost the team. He's got us going 80% on Saturdays before we get on a plane to play a game. It's wild. He changed our day off. He's dishing out fines like crazy. Suspended two of our stars when we need them the most. Throws us under the bus all the time. He ran us into the ground and people wonder why we've been getting got. That was one negative aspect that was highlighted in his Giants coaching career. But the other one, like you had mentioned before, was the fact that he benched Eli Manning after starting so many games. I know that there was an internal struggle with that, seeing as how the organization wanted to keep that streak going. The Giants actually wanted to let Eli start the first half in their final five games, presumably to keep it going. But Eli himself was actually asked to be benched instead. Before Eli Manning's very visible decline towards the end of his career, it was said that McAdoo had already been on the out with Manning. He didn't necessarily want him to be a starting quarterback. Mm -hmm. And I got a quote where they say, we do not know if McAdoo has been clamoring for this move for some time, but simply was not allowed to execute it by Mara. What we do know is that McAdoo for some time has been chirping in the Giants building to others about Manning's lack of arm strength, lack of mobility, 
bad decisions, despite what a lot of people think about McAdoo towards the end of his career, he sort of did see the writing on the wall and he did have a much clearer insight than a lot of those in the organization. Once he got fired, John Mara had to speak out about it and they were questioned as to why he was let go in week 13 and not given till the end of the season to sort of rectify the situation. He had said that Steve Tish and I met after the game and agreed to talk this morning, which we did. We agreed that wholesale changes needed to be made to this organization to get us back to the team that we expect to be. We also agreed that it was pointless to wait any longer to make these changes. By week 13, it was pretty much a done deal. From my perspective, what I remember about Ben McAdoo was that a lot of the stuff that he did just left a sour taste in my mouth specifically. Or, and I'm sure in a lot of Giants fans' mouths, in that if you had been a more respected coach, you could probably get away with benching Eli or suspending Janoris Jenkins and Dominique Rogers Cromartie. But you're not. And the team's not winning. As we mentioned before, it's not all on Ben McAdoo, but it's also like you need to have more seniority and respect within league circles to be able to pull that off, in my opinion. You need more clout. You know, like the organization was bigger than Ben McAdoo. Right, exactly. He wasn't oriented around the head coach. Mm -hmm. And that could be said also because like he was the offensive coordinator for the Giants and he basically was favored by the offense and they sort of just picked him to make Eli Manning slightly better. And it turns out that he was not very big on Eli Manning towards the end of his tenure in New York. On a lighter note, what I'd say the two things I remember the most about Ben McAdoo was <laughs> a, him wearing an oversized suit for the introductory press conference that blew up the internet. So <laughs> if you do not know this, go on Google, type in Ben McAdoo's suit, and you'll see this guy looking like he's going to a 1999 prom in his dad's freaking suit. <laughs> yeah. Too big, it's way too wide. I don't know what happened. Like, you just signed a huge deal, and it looks like you get an off-the-rack suit from, you know, Target, you know, or just, like, you went to the thrift store and picked up something, whatever they had. Yeah. But the other thing, which I found kind of funny, was he actually changed his haircut from his first season to a second season. I found this article online, and I quote, Ben McAdoo's tenure with the Giants was short and excessively weird. So, too, is Ben McAdoo's hairstyle which he changed between his first and second seasons. There's no doubt in my mind that these two things are related. The guy goes on to add, he goes, I would never make fun of somebody's natural physical appearance, but I will definitely make fun of somebody who, by choice, decides to look like Ben McAdoo did this year. This is the look of a man attempting to convince his ex-wife that he's reshaped his life in a healthy, productive manner since the divorce, when in fact, his visit to the barbershop was his first trip outside in 11 days. My guy ordered Unpopular Gym Teacher magazine, cut out his favorite page, brought it to the Supercuts, and was like, give me this. <laughs> Just try and do a quick Google search with that as well. And he basically goes from like a hair part, which is like kind of poofy, yeah. to like this slick back look. The slick back, he makes him look like an 80s movie villain. Or That's like what I think. Like the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh yeah. Ben McAdoo's tenure, I think, had its ups and downs, but eventually I think they made the right decision. The Giants' record in 2017 would land them the second overall pick in the 2018 draft, where they would take Saquon Barkley, a running back, who was named NFC 
Offensive Rookie of the Year. The season itself was, you know, nondescript, but Saquon came into the league with a lot of hype. They took Saquon with the second overall pick in the draft, and a lot of people questioned that decision because that was the draft with Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and Lamar. Josh Allen. And Josh Allen. Yeah, Lamar was the was the last quarterback taken in the fifth round. Oh my God! Yeah, so they could... well, but we're not going to really get into that. <laughs> Is, uh, yeah. So far, it's a bit of a <laughs> At least they didn't take Josh Rosen. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> a blessing in disguise. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people were questioning the decision in terms of you've had the opportunity to take a franchise altering QB at that point, and you just benched Eli. So, you know, do you do that? The organization was loyal to Eli, and they didn't want to make Ben McAdoo look like he was right. So, Saquon was hyped up as the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson. And so is every other top running back prospect is always going to be compared to Adrian Peterson. But for those of you who have seen Saquon in action, you can see exactly why he was taken second overall. He's a game changer for sure. That being said, before the 2019 season, the following year, the Giants traded Odell Beckham to the Cleveland Browns. They would also draft their hopeful QB of the future with the sixth overall pick, Daniel Jones. As Eli Manning had steadily been declining over the years, Jones was put in as the starter in week three, leading them to victory over the Bucks with five touchdowns. They would eventually finish the season with a 4-12 and record, and they fired Pat Shermer. Eli Manning retired after the season's end, playing a final game against the Eagles as a farewell to the fans. And on Sunday, December 29th, 2019, the Giants actually end up facing the playoff hopeful Eagles. They would lose, and it would be Shermer's final game coaching for the Giants. Mm-hmm. QB fired the following day. It seems like we didn't really talk much about Shermer, and it sort of just ends up being just another iteration of Ben McAdoo with less publicity. So it's like symbolically, there's very little to talk about him because he didn't produce much in his Giants career. And I got a good quote because, like, essentially they brought in Shermer to improve the offense because Ben McAdoo didn't really score that many points. The highest single game point total ever in McAdoo's career was 29. That was few and far between. It was very rare. I have a quote from an article and they say that thus the organization brought in the offensive-minded Shermer to help fix those football-related issues, something he ultimately didn't accomplish. So in the last two seasons, the Giants have averaged just 22.2 points per game with 347.3 total yards per game. This past season, they were 23rd in total yards per game and 18th in points per game. Both categories saw a decrease from the previous year's totals. Ultimately, the last four years of Giants football have been categorized by like a really dwindling offense. They just weren't able to really explode or do any of the kind of playmaking they were accustomed to in previous years. I agree. And it goes back to what I was saying about the cyclical nature of sports, right? And that's why I chose to mention it at the very beginning of this episode. The Giants were, and kind of still are, going through a cycle of rebuilding. You know, we saw Eli's decline. As much as we hate to admit it, as Giants fans and as sports fans in general, we saw Eli's decline and we saw 
the Giants trying to remain competitive, but then eventually I would say admitting that they need to rebuild by trading Odell Beckham away and then trying to rebuild the team from there. I don't really have much to say about Shermer's tenure, to be honest, as you'd mentioned earlier, Theo, because he seems to me kind of just like a blip on the radar. You know, there's no disrespect to Pat Shermer. You know, he's a great offensive coach. I believe now he's the offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos currently. Yeah. So he still got the credentials to be a great coach in the league. But it just so happened that the team is trying to find itself, find its identity. And it wasn't helped as well with Saquon got injured in one of Pat Shermer's years. So he never really got going. The offense being an anemic offense is kind of characteristic of that, in my opinion, even to this day. I think we'll leave it there for now. So we're heading up to 2020 season, basically. We're pretty much all caught up with real life, but our next episode is going to be a state of the franchise episode. So we'll go into it. We'll catch you up on present day, at least as of recording. We'll see what's going on with the franchise, what needs to be fixed, what's going right with the franchise, in our opinion. We can't wait to bring it to you guys. So thank you again for listening to Check Down Charlie's. As always, check us out on Twitter. Tell a friend if you liked it. If you didn't, still tell a friend. We could use a listen (laughs) at this moment. But yeah, thank you so much for listening to us, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Check Down Charlie's podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Don't forget to follow us at CheckDCharlie's on Twitter and at CheckDownCharlie's on Instagram. Like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms, and don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.